Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson. And my name is Lucas Stuck. Yes, it is. <laughs> this is a podcast <laughs> dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. We thank you for joining us as we discuss, as we investigate, as we talk about theology and the Christian life, uh, as we also strive for unity amongst our diversity as Baptists and Anglicans, uh, as members of the Lord's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So today, Man. Lucas, we are finishing up January. Hard I can't believe. believe that like it's already come and gone. Uh, the fish swallowed us and has vomited us back out. Um, and now it's time to keep on moving with the podcast. So I guess so. <laughs> uh, for for those who are who are new to our podcast, we want to say thank you for tuning in. Uh, you're if you're joining right now and you've never listened before, you're actually catching the very tail end, but um, uh, of a uh, four week long journey. End. You should have said tail thin. End. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, we're 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 in Jonah chapter four, so you've missed three, two, one. Uh, so it might be worth going back and, and giving those a listen. Uh, or maybe start at the end and you know how it ends and then you go back and listen to see how it all started. Whatever you want to do, we thank you for, for tuning in. So um, I guess without any further ado, like I said, we're, we're, we're going to be discussing the final closing minutes of the book of Jonah. It's, a, it's an end that's pretty, pretty stark, I think. It's, it's pretty like abrupt in the way that it ends, as we'll see. Um, but it really like the book concludes with an angry Jonah receiving a lesson in divine mercy, uh, in the compassion of God himself. Um, strikingly, though, the text does not explain how Jonah responds. So all throughout this book, we've we've seen a little bit of back and forth between Jonah, between God. Uh, but this text ends almost with a cliffhanger. We don't see a resolution. So maybe it leaves some people with some discomfort. Uh, really, we just, we see Jonah with a resentful attitude as God has just extended some very great and undeserved mercy towards the Ninevites. Uh, so that's just sort of in summary of what we're going to be talking about here. So now I guess let's, let's dive in, Lucas, what do you, what, what jumped out to you? Um, what, what, what do you think was noteworthy in our final chapter? I mean, that was a really good summary of kind of the the big standout, like, I don't even know, uh, just the impression that it leaves you with, with it being so abrupt, you have this real conflict between what God is doing and saying, both to Nineveh and to Jonah, and then sort of the opposite response from Jonah than what you might come to expect <laughs> looking at the way that faithful people tend to interact with God in light of his mercy and all of that kind of stuff. But what really stood out to me was more just the um, Jonah's anger, but specifically just some of the expressions of it, um, especially from Jonah himself. So just to kind of point, point them out, um, Please, Lord. So this is this is starting in verse two. Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? 
Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And then the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Um, and Jonah doesn't respond. He ignores he, them. <laughs> he just, he goes and, and, and hangs out. And so a couple of things camp out here for a second. Like, obviously there's kind of the the big, the, I don't know, glaring kind of elephant in the room that this wasn't a surprise to Jonah. That it's really, it's it's. It's like really obvious, but then there's also layers to it, I think, that make it more interesting. Like, he knew who God was, so he's not surprised that Nineveh is not being destroyed as their sin justly deserves. But what's also kind of interesting is that seems to imply that he suspected Nineveh would repent because, like, obviously, we know that God relented from the calamity because they repented, but it's also made very much more explicit at the end of chapter three, when it says, when God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented. So it's very much like, we we didn't really get into that too much last week, but the whole, the dynamic between Nineveh's repentance and God's mercy is the, the mercy is very much instigated by the repentance. And I mean, there's a ton we could say about that for another save that for another conversation but just so it's interesting that jonah's like i knew this was going to happen so i wanted to forestall this so i fled to tarsh and it's like uh, you know can you believe that that was his that that was his prayer to god it wasn't just like this is like an internal dialogue like this is what jonah is saying to god in prayer (laughs) please lord was not this what i said (laughs) um i i honestly i i do love jonah's tone like that might sound kind of backwards but like in the book of jonah i do love jonah's tone because and this is true in the psalms too when you're reading a lot of the lament psalms especially not only but i think it's a little more obvious in in the sadder lamentable type psalms and also people like jonah and what we see i it's so human and uh you know real and, and it's not like it's not like jonah's just cast out of god's presence because he said this you know like should he be feeling these things you know being upset that god is merciful to a repentant city no he, sh- he should be rejoicing but he's still able to come to god and say that and he's not just you know hit with a bolt of lightning or, right. you know, he's not he, afraid to be vulnerable and, right. and real authentic. Yeah. And I think that's because he knows, like, like we've said, he knows who, who God is, you know, that's how he right. knew God would be merciful and compassionate. Cause that's who he is. And, and that, you know, it's kind of the other side of that coin is he knows he can kind of confront God. Um, not, this is not justifying <laughs> Jonah being, you know, mad at God for being merciful in the sense of like, He's clearly in the wrong in terms of what's right, what's the right perspective. The right perspective is God's mercy is a good thing. But but it is worth noting, I think. Um, and Before just you go on, God's response I, to that, too, kind of just fits in with that. Like, right. He engages just, I, that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I kind of want to dwell for a second on like just like Jonah's attitude here. I mean, I know we, we've 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 started highlighting it, um, but like verse one it says Jonah was greatly displeased and he became furious. So that's the CSB translation. Um, apparently in Hebrew, if you're if you if you've read Hebrew, I mean, I know Lucas and I both took Hebrew, but it's been a while. But um, literally, it says it was evil to Jonah as a great wrong. So you have to, again, ask, what was evil? What greatly displeased him? Why was he furious? Jonah is mad. Jonah is mad that God has been gracious to people. Like, just think about that for a minute. Sometimes I think we think that the the book of Jonah is about a fish and then... Uh, the Ninevites, like it's it's those wicked Ninevites that needed to repent. But like, man, we're seeing some like real wickedness in Jonah's own heart. The fact that Jonah was greatly displeased. He was angry. It was, uh, the word is ru'ah, I think. So it's like evil, disaster. Um, he, he, like, this is a, a, this is like the strongest language that we can use for someone's um, really displeasure, I guess. But uh, his greatest fear, okay, his his biggest fear before going to Nineveh was that the Lord would bestow forgiveness on Israel's most hated enemy. Why else? So when you, when you think about why did Jonah run? Was Jonah simply just afraid of the Ninevites, thinking that like, oh, I'm going to be killed there? Or was jo- was Jonah afraid of something else? That's That's one of the first questions we have to ask ourselves. And I think Jonah's own confession as you've already read tells us what he was afraid of he basically says this is why when i was still in my own country um, i decided to flee i went towards tarshish because tarshish because i knew that you are a gracious and compassionate god who will relent from sending disaster so he says he finally admits why he fled from his own mouth we're not we don't have to theorize we don't have to um you know conjecture about this jonah tells us the very reason he did not want to go because he knew God would spare the Ninevites. So we're starting to see some of the, the hatred that he harbors in his heart. And maybe it's justifiable in some sense. Maybe the Ninevites have been completely wicked, completely um, just worthy of, of being destroyed. Um, but, but it's still, man, the, the fact that Jonah is greatly like think of like the strongest English words to 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 say that someone is just furious. They are livid. They are boiling over. That's that's how mad he is. Um, and and it's interesting mentally, mental in, in Jonah's head, he knows the character of God because he says it. He says. You're gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. And this is something that's repeated all throughout scripture. The fact that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in covenant, keeping love. So he knows this on a mental level. He knows that God will be gracious to people. Yet, the reality of it, the the nature of God's character has not penetrated his heart correctly. Um, he's, he's too narrow minded. Um, and really he believes that himself. So Jonah sees himself and his people to be the only ones deserving of this mercy and compassion. So in a sense, Jonah sees himself on another level than the Ninevites more worthy 
more deserving of God's mercy and grace because, you know, Jonah, Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish. Like, you know, God, you're merciful. You've been compassionate to me when my life was about to be taken from me. You spared me. You brought me up from the pit, even from the belly of Sheol. Like he understands the mercy that God has shown. But then as soon as he starts showing it to the pagans, Jonah's furious. He is angry. He's angry. And, and, and I, you know, maybe we can move on to, to verse three here. Um, but he says, and now Lord, take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is so angry that God would show mercy towards the, the people that he feared and hated the most that he would rather die than see these people be spared. Now that's a pretty, that's a pretty, I mean, if, if, if we've been painting Jonah in like a decent light, like that should just like make him look awful right <laughs> yeah and i do think that that's part of what's going on here is just highlighting what we've seen before this you know from the very beginning when he runs away being brought up to the to the forefront in this final chapter and in his interactions with god and and what he's expressing and i think this is a good place to kind of move on again tracking this anger um is what I really, as for me, what, what stuck out to me. So what I'm kind of focusing on here is, is the the anger and the um, feelings that Jonah is experiencing and expressing. So he he says he'd rather die. And then God, you know, God asks him, okay, you know, do you have a good, like, he kind of gives him the chance to, like, justify himself almost. And so he doesn't, respond or you know whatever he thought or said isn't recorded but he it's really interesting so he he'd he'd rather die right now he's he's greatly displeased you know to put it in english but kind of sounds like an understatement (laughs) compared to how he's you know feeling because and we and you know he, he said he'd rather die um but then he goes and and hangs out outside of the city he makes up a little camp made a shelter um because he wanted to see what would happen in the city. So I don't, you know, I didn't really dwell on this too much in my own uh, reading and thinking about this, but maybe he's thinking, uh, you know, maybe they're going to sin again. Maybe their repentance wasn't, wasn't, wasn't deep enough, or maybe not everybody repented. So, so there's still a chance that the calamity God promised to, to bring to punish, you know, their sin might still have, you know, or maybe he's just so upset he doesn't know what to do. So we just want to kind of see what happens next. Who, who knows? Um, he's hoping God is going to like just do what he thinks that he should do. Yeah, whether whether he's relying on God to change his mind or the Ninevites to change their minds, I, I you know, it, it it doesn't seem like Jonah's changing his mind. I guess at this point, but um, so there's this, <laughs> there's this, you know, kind of fun. Well, I guess it's not fun but it is kind of fun the um god has mercy and compassion on jonah and gives him a plant to to give him some shade and some shelter um and jonah was extremely happy about the plant so he's greatly displeased about um the city and he's extremely happy about the plant um, that's, which, that's like that's the same language. It's it's actually yeah. greatly pleased and greatly displeased. Right. It's meant right. to be to to you know show the difference between the two. Yeah, and he's 
so he's sitting there. God, you know, I love this verse. God appointed a worm. <laughs> um, and the plant dies. He's the, the sun beats down on him. God sends a scorching wind, you know. Um, and then he, he and in the NASB, this is pretty strong. He begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. So he's, he, you know, he has said this twice now. And we see this anger, you know, he's just so frustrated. He's so upset. He's so angry at God, probably at the Ninevites, probably just at himself, you know, uh, that may, might be a little, you know, a little psycho analyzing, but I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, and then, and then God challenges him again. He says, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And then he says, I have good reason to be angry even to death. And to me, that's always the, 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 the line and the verse that sticks out to me probably the most other than just the, the idea of God appointing a worm to eat a plant is just pretty, it's pretty awesome. But I have good reason to be angry even to death always gets me for, I think, a variety of reasons. But it's so like unexpected like on one on one hand it's it's very expected based on how he's been acting for the last you know nine verses before that and also the whole book but on the other hand it's it's very unexpected because it's like clearly you, you know like this is like sunday school this is like a sunday school level question you know like a little kid knows the answer is no you know you 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 don't have a good reason to be angry about the plant and, and like obviously it's not, I don't think, an unreasonable leap to say that, like, Jonah knows he doesn't have a reason to be angry about the plant that God gave him, you know, that he didn't uh, earn or do anything to, to grow or water or whatever, as, as God references later. But he still, he's like, yeah, I have reason enough to be angry to die. And this is, I think, what the reason this sticks out to me is 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 kind of goes hand in glove with with why Jonah is so compelling to me, or at least one of the reasons why Jonah is so compelling to me in the first place, as a story as well as an individual, is the like I can think of in the last what's today, Monday, January twenty fifth, in the last four three months. Like, I can think of off the top of my head a handful of times where I have had this exact conversation with God without even realizing it. And that's not even going back <laughs> further than that <laughs> in my life. And it's not even things that are that significant in the grand scheme of things. And it's it's remarkable, I think, to see this play out in Jonah's life partially because it is like I said before it's so human and realistic and um authentic I guess is kind of a buzzword but I just mean it in the sense <laughs> of like it, it's it's thoroughly real you know what I mean like like there's no kind of play going on it's like I can hear myself saying this I can hear somebody saying this my friends or, or family myself like I said like this isn't, it's not hard for me to, like, sometimes there are some things, like, I read about, like, Elijah or, like, Elisha, you know, sending the bears to eat the kids who made fun of him for being bald, and it's, like, it's hard for me to kind of be there, 
as I'm reading the the narrative, you know, but like this is not a conversation or an event that is hard for me to like enter into a- as a person, as a Christian, as someone who prays to the same God, you know, like it's not hard to, to kind of not only put myself in Jonah's shoes, but also just like to hear Jonah and, and to really hear what he's feeling, um, which is so relatable. And, and obviously everybody, everybody can relate to Jonah at, at some point in some level. I, I think that I particularly relate to him, which, you know, might be more so than, than you listening or, or whoever, but, um, that is something that has always just stood out to me is just his, he, he's so, you know, he's just completely stuck in that feeling. You know, he's kind of at the end of his rope. He's just like, yeah, yeah, God, you got me. You know, I, I have good reason angry yeah. enough to die, you know, and it just feels very, um, you know, final in the sense of like, he's just, not that you know this is he dies right here and that's it but i i just mean like he he just he he desperate that's the word i'm looking for he's he sounds desperate and he he he's kind of acting throughout this last chapter desperate and i think that you know to go back to my my little you know maybe this is not appropriate but attempt to kind of psychoanalyze jonah a little bit is because i feel so related to jonah in that desperation of emotion and fear and anger that I think is a very common human experience. It certainly is a common experience in my own life um, when things are not going my way or things are tough or whatever. And to just be, to be, to be, to feel the desperation of like, I'm at the end of the line. Maybe I know I'm wrong, but this is this is just how I am, you know. This is mm-hmm. how I feel. This is where I am, um, and I mean, there's more to be there's more to be said about that, you know. Um, but I think, you know, that that that's kind of the track that I always really follow when I read this chapter is this progression of his anger and, and his emotions, kind of culminating in just like. God's asking him <laughs> multiple times, you sure like you have a good reason to be angry? And he's like, yes, even though he clearly doesn't like, obviously, but right. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of um, what I mm-hmm. always like to, to, to focus on. So I, I'm sure I've missed some interesting tidbits that, that you picked up on, but that that's definitely Maybe, something that I wanted to, to focus on is just like, I have good, like that quote in at the end of verse nine, I have good reason to be angry even to death. It's just, it feels so Relatable. like iconic in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Man, well, I like how we've done this series. We've, we've had this like back and forth. We will, we'll, we'll gloss over some parts and we'll, we'll go super deep into other parts. And personally, Man, the story of Jonah. When I when I was a kid, I only ever thought of the big fish. The fish is the climax of the story. I mean, a man got swallowed by a fish and was vomited on the dry land. It's so crazy, right? Like, that seems like the, the VBS story. Um, but as you're saying, as we've been saying over these last now four weeks, it's like the humanness of this story. The 
the anger, the the hatred, the the emotion, just the raw humanity that we find in this story. And and truly, not the fish, but here we find the climax of the entire story. This is everything has been building to culminate to this little object lesson almost. It's it's God's teaching Jonah a lesson, whether he realizes it or not. Um, but I, I thought it was super interesting. Between verses 5 and 8, the word appointed comes up three times. We've already seen the word appointed when we think of the storm that came upon the sea. God caused the storm. We've seen the word appointed when the fish came to swallow Jonah. Now the Lord has appointed a plant. He has appointed a worm. He has appointed a scorching east wind. And so like over and over again, to, to, to pick up on the repetition of this story, we're seeing God's sovereignty and his control over all things. Even Jonah, even the Ninevites, even the small things like plants and worms. I mean, like the two most seemingly insignificant things. Um, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty incredible how, how the, the grand sweeping from the tiniest worm to the largest fish, God is in control of this. Um, and as we've already noted, um, the juxtaposition between greatly displeased at what God is doing to show mercy and being greatly pleased with the plant. The irony is enough to choke on. You're just like, <laughs> Jonah, you're, you're, you're greatly displeased that the Lord of the universe has shown mercy upon humans who don't know their right hand from their left. You're displeased at this, but like a freaking plant. Is what makes you greatly pleased. Again, the irony is just like too much. Like I found myself laughing. Like the fact that Jonah is like, he, he's left the city. He ignored God, probably. We don't see him say anything. But he, he leaves the city, goes to find a place to sit east of it. He builds this little shelter. But like you have to imagine in the Middle East, like the, the, the heat of the day. Um, we're talking probably living in the desert. Like... He, he's literally hot. He, he's angry, but he's also like sweating hot. Like he's, he's, he needs some shelter. So he builds whatever he can. Um, and this is where, again, God is being gracious to Jonah. God doesn't have to let this plant grow up over his head to give him shade. But God is going to be gracious in, in providing real and tangible relief while also using that as like the point of his whole lesson. Because it says... It grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head and to rescue him from his trouble. The word trouble is literally, again, evil or disaster in Hebrew. So this refers not only to his outer discomfort, but his inner evil. So God God is trying to use this plant to, to, to rescue, to save Jonah from his evil. But Jonah is just glad that there's a plant. Jonah's like, oh, thank goodness I have this plant. But then again, in a day, it's here today, gone tomorrow. This this worm has come. It's attacked it. It's withered. Um, and as the sun is rising, it's getting hot. God appoints a scorching east wind. So some, some I don't know if that's a sandstorm or just some like intense heat. Uh, but the sun is beating down on his head so much that he almost passes out. He almost faints. He almost loses consciousness. And again, we, as, as you noted, he gets to the point where he's wanting to die. He, he even says as much, it's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah still, after all this time, after everything that's happened, again, go back to week one. He fleed. He was in the ship, the storm, thrown overboard, in the fish, 
journeys to Nineveh. Nineveh repents. He's not getting the point of this entire book. Instead of crying out, like, finally, I understand. Forgive me for my hard-heartedness. Forgive me for my anger, for my bitterness. Uh, Instead, he cries out that God would take his life a second time. And so to, to, to get to the point where, where, where you, um, to get to the point that you really like, where God basically asks, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So we've already seen him ask a question like, is it good for you to be angry? Well, is it right, Jonah, for you to even be angry about this plant? And jo- and this is, again, the CSB. Yes, it is right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So it's it's interesting that Jonah responds this time when he, he ignored the last one, at least as far as the text would tell us. Um, but is is anger over a simple plant the right response here? Again, we're talking about a plant that, as, as it goes on to say, that he didn't labor over, he didn't toil to create. This plant was appointed to rise, it was here, and then it was gone. But it's almost as if, like, it's almost as if Jonah says, of course I should be angry. The plant meant so much to me that its destruction is a horrible wrong. Uh, it should enjoy life, not death. Blessing, not curse. Mercy and compassion, not disaster. So you almost see that Jonah has more care for foliage than for people. I think this plant is in a way meant to, again, juxtapose like this meaningless plant. And then you have 120,000 people and much cattle. Yeah, and it's interesting too how I, I, the, the NASB, like hearing your um, reading the CSB, I'm picking up on some things that are a little more muted and not as obvious in the NASB, but um, he, God says to Jonah that you had compassion uh, on the plant for which you did not work. You know, exactly the, the, the not, not just you're concerned about the plant because it gave you shade and it made you more comfortable, which I'm sure is the, the source of his care for it. But like, he chooses to say, you know, you had compassion for the plant, which is exactly the thing that Jonah didn't have. Or or I guess more precisely, exactly the thing Jonah's upset about God having on right, right. <laughs> a great city full of people and, and other uh, living creatures that God made. And Jonah is upset about that, but he's comfortable having, you know, he, he's showing that to the plant that he didn't make, even though God made the plants and the animals and the cattle and the people that live in Nineveh. <laughs> Um, so of course he's gonna, you know, of course he's gonna have, you know, the, the, the answer to the question that ends the, the book is, of course, God should have compassion for right. the great city that, with these, all these people and cattle who don't know what right and wrong. And well, I guess the cattle don't need to know right and wrong, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah. I, if you haven't, if you haven't had enough irony yet, <laughs> I, I love, I love this irony. The fact that. Jonah is angry about the destruction of a plant as he's sitting outside of a city, probably waiting for it to be destroyed. Right, yeah. Like, he's literally sitting here. I I have to imagine, what other reason would he have to go to sit outside the city? He's he's done his job. God has given him his task. He's preached. The people, again, he saw people repent, people in sackcloth, in ashes. So he goes to the outside of the city, sets up a booth... So he plans on staying a little while, even if maybe just for a day. But he's, he plans on staying. 
But then we see in this story, he's angry, angry enough to die because a plant was destroyed yeah. as he sits and waits for a city to be annihilated. Right. Um, that, again, the irony. Um, we're talking about 120,000, as the text says in, in verse 11, 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals, or as the ESV says, as well as much cattle. Um, Jonah is finally, finally expressing concern over something perishing in this story. And the irony is, it's a plant. Oh my gosh, dude. He, we, we brought this up last week, uh, how, how there are people who are concerned about things perishing. The, there's the sailors in the boat who are concerned about um, uh, dying and perishing. Uh, there's uh, the king concerned about his people and them and the cattle perishing. And up until this point, Jonah has shown no concern for anything or anybody but himself. He's only cared about himself. And even then, he wants to die. So does he really care about himself all that much? But now, a plant is what gets Jonah's blood. Just It's, it's the tipping point. He's angry enough to die. And he, he's, he's concerned over something perishing. And it's a, it's a green leaf that grows out of the ground. Um, and it's, it's just it's sad to see. But again, we, we see the humanness, um, and even if it's not good humanness, even if it is wrong and distorted, and even if the hate that he harbors in his heart is not commendable, we at least, the, the beautiful thing about Jonah is that um, this merciful and compassionate God is actually mer- merciful and compassionate, both to Nineveh, to Jonah, to the sailors, to the fish, to the worm. God is providing for all these people and all these things and has always done so and will continue to do so. But it's in in these moments where Jonah is expressing, and as again, it's I don't know why I didn't see these things when I was younger. Maybe it's just because I was younger and people didn't explain them to me very well. But like as I as I see this story about Jonah, I like you said, I can't help but see part of myself. The hatred, the the anger, um, the sin really that harbors within my heart, the the unjust anger that I have. I mean, I, I'm sure that there have been times in my life where I cared more about my quote unquote plant than the people and the cattle, so to speak, in this story. I'm sure that there have been times where I've been far more concerned about what's going on in my life as opposed to what's going on in the lives of the people around me. But as we as we I think as we've said here. God is just really trying to drive home the striking contrast between Jonah's reaction to the plant and his reaction to Nineveh. So the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, this is what it says in the CSB. You cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and you did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right from their left as well as many animals. So it's again trying to underscore just how little Jonah ought to care about this plant. It hasn't even been a it's not like it's been his pet for 20 years. You know, if I if I lost my my, you know, my wife and I have two cats, even now we've had our cats for like 4 years and if we lost them it'd be like uh, it'd be a huge loss. We'd be very sad to lose our pets. But like Jonah, this is this plant isn't even a day old and he cares so much about it. And the creator of the universe, the, the creator of people, of plants, of animals, 
has created the people of Nineveh. Even if at this present moment, he's not in a covenant relationship with them, he cares about them. And so this is like the whole point of this book. This is the object lesson. You could, this is, this is um, a paraphrase and this is from the ESV um, expository commentary. So like the guy who, who wrote the commentary, he, he paraphrased in a way what God said by saying, quote, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people in it, people made in my image, and they are utterly lost with no idea what is right and what is wrong. They are like little children who cannot even tell the difference between their right hand and their left hand. And even if you do not care about the people, just think about all those animals. I mean, you care about one stupid little plant. Do you not care about all those, all those cattle? So go ahead, put your plant on one side of the scale and all of these things on the other. Which is weightier? Which matters more? If you can feel sorry for this meager and meaningless plant, should I not feel sorry for all these people that are made in my image? Jonah, do you still not get it? Are not the animals of the city alone worth more pity than your puny plant? So that's like, again, end quote, his rough paraphrase kind of of like what God is trying to communicate to Jonah. The, the whole point of this story is that God is this merciful and compassionate God, but not just to his covenant people, to all people. And his covenant people should be the ambassadors who are going out extending that mercy and compassion to the lost world. Who needs it? And that's the whole point. Is Jonah in in running, in fearing, really wasn't doing his duty as a part of humanity, as being a priest, as being a, a prophet, as being a king, in a sense. He he's rejecting the the call, not just like a his his job, but the actual duty of his life to be a light to the world. Uh, instead, he would rather harbor anger towards a people that are ethnically different who live in a different nation with different gods, with different rules and regulations. Um, and even if, and they were, even if, again, and they were wicked people. The Assyrians did some like cruel things to people. Does not mean that they are not worthy of the grace of God, of his mercy, of his abundant love. I don't know. I... <laughs> As we've said, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll begin our descent. We're you know, cruising at 15,000 feet now. Uh, no response is recorded, as, we, as we've seen. God asks this question, um, saying, may I not care about the great city and the people there? He asks this question. No response is recorded. And, and as I'm sure all of our listeners know, when a story ends this way, we as the readers are the only one who can respond. So how how do you respond? Lucas, Jens, whoever you are listening, this, 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 this rhetorical question almost forces us to think. It forces us to fill in the blanks. Uh, it's, it's probably not a coincidence because I don't really believe in coincidences, especially when it comes to scripture, uh, especially since God is sovereign after all, as he's appointing all these things. It's not a coincidence. Where was Peter, Lucas? Where was Peter when he first receives his call to share the good news of Jesus with the Gentiles. And in the book of Acts, where is Peter? Joppa. Joppa. Where else have we seen Joppa? But in the story of Jonah. (laughs) Oh, the place that Jonah fled to. I mean, he was going to Tarshish, but he goes down to Joppa. So the place that he escapes preaching to the Gentiles, 
this is the very place that Peter is also called to go preach to the Gentiles. Is Peter going to obey or is he going to be like Jonah? Obviously, we see that Peter obeys. Um, but, but God cares for all nations, for all peoples. And do we share that care? It didn't really seem like Jonah shared that care, as we can see. But do, do we, as Christians living in the 21st century, um, do we believe that God cares for Muslims? Do we believe that God cares for Hindus or, or Buddhists or um, people living in New York City, living for themselves with, quote unquote, no gods? Um, do we think that God cares about Democrats? Do we think that God cares about Republicans? Whatever, whatever we want, whatever label we want to assign to humanity, do we actually think God cares about them? And if we, especially if we do, you have to then ask yourself, do you care? Do you care? So I don't, I don't know if you have anything you want to add here, but I feel like I've been talking for a long time. <laughs> uh, no, honestly, I, I don't think I have anything to add. I mean, we just see, you know, it gives this chapter gives such a good snapshot of a certain kind of moment that I think everybody experiences in their relationship with God, whether it's around the issue of not being able to love our neighbors as ourselves or anything else, you know, it, 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 it's applicable beyond the scope of, of just the specific issue Jonah was doing, was dealing with. But, um, to pose that question to us the way that he does at the end of the chapter, God, I think is really pointing us kind of pointing a mirror, like, like holding up a mirror in front of us to, to point us back to, to examine ourselves and hopefully learn from Jonah's mistakes <laughs> be um, you know in to follow that connection to be more like Peter in his response to God rather than hmm. Jonah in his responses to God but um, but yeah I think that it's it's remarkable to walk through the book of Jonah like we've done kind of slowly getting you know, two heads together here to kind of like pick out some different things that I wouldn't have noticed on my own. Um, it's quite a book for how short it is for, um, you know, I mean, I was going to say like, it's kind of buried in the, in the minor prophets, but that's not even really true in the sense of it's, it's one of the more popular, like biblical stories. I think everyone knows Jonah and the whale. And I mean, it like, you know, we pointed out earlier, like that is, the, the the focus we you know we tend to focus on the on the fish part um which is you know fine i mean there's a lot there it's not like we shouldn't care about the fish part but um it's it, yeah there, there's so much more i guess what i would what i would say is there's so much more here than what jonah is known for that there are fathoms and fathoms yep but um 20,000 <laughs> leagues under the seas worth but um but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's quite a book. And that is just something that is increasingly, like every every time I return to it, whatever the context, whether it's VeggieTales, this January month that we did, just reading it on my own, like whenever it, whenever it comes back around, um, I'm, I'm always just impressed more and more with how crucial of a book I think it is for yeah. for our own walks and our own lives and it's just um 
it's been it's been a really cool month to to go through so um hopefully everybody else enjoyed it as much as i did (laughs) i hope so and i I just have a couple final thoughts before we before we leave um just like the book of jonah isn't about the ninevites in a sense it is i mean they're the ones who repent but it's it's about jonah and so just like on our podcast just like on our podcast in a similar way the these four episodes have not been about jonah but they've been about us They've been about you, Lucas. They've been about me. It's it's been about the listeners, um, because these seeds of anger, these seeds of hatred, still reside within us. We know this from the Gospels. We know this from the New Testament. Uh, the sad reality is that those who forget their own need of mercy are the quickest to withhold it from others. Uh, those who forget their experience of God's forgiveness are the quickest to refuse it to others. Um, this reminds me of uh, Jesus's parable of the, the wicked servant who has this massive, absolutely massive debt forgiven. Like, I, I can't remember all the math, but if you look at all the money that was owed, we're talking about like many, 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 many lifetimes worth of money that this servant owed. And then he leaves having been forgiven. And then a couple of his buddies who like owe him some change, like, oh, throw me that $5 bill that you owe me, man. Like, he refuses, and he's a wicked servant. He doesn't extend mercy. So he's just been shown this great mercy, and then he doesn't go show it to others. That's a, that's what Jonah is really all about. Um, do, do we really want these things for others? Do we want others to, to experience God's love, his mercy, his grace, his compassion? And really, there's an easy way to tell, because in Jesus, we have experienced God's abundant grace. If... We show these same things to everyone we meet, no matter who they are, no matter their morals, their race, their nationality, their social class, their gender, political beliefs, whatever it might be, then we have understood the lesson of this book well, and we understand the heart of our Savior. So again, in Jesus, we've experienced mercy, grace, love, forgiveness, compassion. So then if we take those things and go out into the world, and we show those things to anybody that we come in contact to, not just those that are like us, not just other Republicans, not just other uh, middle-class uh, suburban soccer moms, or, or what, wherever you find yourself, but to, to, to everyone we encounter. But if we show these things to some and, and not to others, uh, if we show these things to those who are like us and not those who are different, uh, if we show these things to, to those we like and not those that we dislike, if, if in any way, if in any way we are selective in the terms uh, or in terms of the people to whom we show God's grace, then we still do not get it. So like, I, I hope that my, for myself, for you, Lucas, for those of you listening, that you are not selective in who you show grace and compassion and mercy to. Because if you are selective in any way, you remain a disciple of Jonah and not a disciple of Jesus. You, you remain like Jonah with hardness in your heart where you're angry about a plant and not sad and heartbroken over the people that are lost and without hope in the world. But the, the heart, the very heart of Christ, the one that is gentle and lowly, who cares about sinners, whose, whose burden is easy, his yoke is light, we ought to be like him, obviously. We know that we're supposed to be. And, and it's, it's so obvious that sometimes I think we just forget but I guess 
as to, to wrap up, I'm sorry that I just, I like to ramble here. This is like the youth pastor coming out of me. Like I, I remember my students used to hate it. Like I just keep going, but I promise I'm almost done. How, how do we even know this story? So if, if, if you recall a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that I was going to talk a little bit about what, what Tim Keller has to say about how this story ends. Like, obviously we don't see Jonah's response. We don't know if he ever truly gets it. So this is kind of what Tim Keller has to say. This is like my paraphrase. How do we even know this story? How do we have the story of Jonah? How do we know about the prayer and the fish, the prayer after Nineveh repents? The only way we could know is if Jonah told others. So even if Jonah didn't write the story, he told people about it. That's how people record it. I don't think it's just some made up fable. So, you know, whether he wrote it with his own hand or not, he was telling other people about this story. So what kind of man would let the world see what kind of fool he was? I mean, he's been pretty foolish all throughout this story. Only someone who had been joyfully secure in God's love is the type of person who can tell this story. Only someone who believed that he was simultaneously sinful, but fully accepted. And that other people are also simultaneously sinful, but can be fully accepted as they enter into God's grace. So in short, someone who has found in the gospel of grace the very power of God. So I think Jonah did come to his senses. I think that after this conversation where God, you know, he, he has this question, we, we don't get the answer, uh, but in a sense, we, we do have an answer. I think we do in, in, in the fact that, that this story is told, that it's perpetuated, that we see all of Jonah's wickedness. Uh, because really, if I was going to tell a story, I think I'd leave out all the bad parts and only talk about all the good things that I did. I mean, that's not how we usually tell stories. We like to embellish. There, there's no embellishing here. So uh, my, my last words as you as you leave and depart the, the belly of the fish of this great podcast known as the Doxology Podcast, I just want you to, to think about whom you extend compassion and mercy and grace to. Um, understanding that Jonah, the Ninevites, the sailors, these people have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And if indeed you have, you ought to show others as well. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's a good book. <laughs> um, yep. So we are now done with January. We're done with Jonah. We're done with uh, January, at least for our Tuesday episodes. Uh I can't remember if... Uh, is this the last episode releasing in January? This might be the last I one. I can't remember. I think so. Anyway, um, we have come to the end of Jonah, so we are going to be moving on next week to other things. Not necessarily bigger or better, but other. <laughs> um, That's fair. So, yeah. I, I mean, before we kind of wrap up, pray out, and, and, and leave, like, this, we have, this is... This was unlike any other little series we've done before. So it was kind of a little bit of an experiment. I think it went really well, at least on our end. We've got some good feedback on it. um, But if you like this, let us know. We can try and do more stuff like this in the future. Not necessarily entire months or entire books, but take some time to kind of approach a text in scripture like this maybe. Um, might be just kind of a, another little format we can kind of add to our rotation. I mean, it's just, it's, we're never going to run out of things to learn from God's word. So couldn't hurt to, 
dive a little deeper into, you know, a chapter here or there or a book here or there, you know? We do always ask for your feedback, but right now I really, really want your feedback. I, I do <laughs> want to know how you liked January, how you liked us going through this book. So please let us yeah. know. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about um, Peter and the role that he played in the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, today, as we're recording, is um, the feast day of the conversion of St. Paul, who also had a little bit of a role to play in that. So to pray us out, we're going to start with the collect for his conversion. O God, by the preaching of your apostle Paul, you have caused the light of the gospel to shine throughout the world. Grant, we pray, that having his wonderful conversion in remembrance, we may show ourselves thankful to you by following his holy teaching. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in, whether this is your first or your however many 95th. episodes we've got. <laughs> 95th. Um, uh, we're super grateful for all your support and, and your listens. Um, if you'd like to connect with us, um, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast, or you can always shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Please, please, please give your feedback, but also any um, ideas for future episodes or topics or anything like that. Questions you have for us or about anything that we've said. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd really, really like to hear your thoughts, not just our own thoughts. As amazing as all our thoughts are, yours are better. So let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, see you. Peace.